Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. And on. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I am your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Sean Clark, co-founder of High Level, a full suite of white label software solutions and services guaranteed to add revenue to your bottom line. High Level empowers businesses to grow their businesses by generating reviews from their customers, managing their listings across 80 plus sites on the web, creating and managing conversations with their customers via all the channels, including social, SMS, and Google My Business. By offering a custom set of products, companies can deploy literally within hours to help them add real revenue to the bottom line. Sean, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Can you walk us through your background and what it's led to what you're doing now with High Level? Sure. Yeah. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to like... Um, college age after you know graduation uh, that sort of thing so went to college for computer science always been a software engineer really love coding dropped out my junior year to start my first business um grew that to about oh gosh 500 employees or so um exited that business um started my first SaaS company um grew that to about a thousand customers sold that business and now i'm on the high level <laughs> What were those first two companies? So the first one was a very large answering service. So basically we took inbound phone calls and for about 5,000 small businesses nationwide. And we had hundreds of at-home call center answering service agents. And we built all of our own technology. So there's a lot of software engineering in that business, despite what it might sound like. Then the second business was a SaaS platform for um, helping people automate their accounts receivable, primarily on the SMB side. So basically, we would bug people to pay their bills until they did. And mm-hmm. um, it, it was fantastically successful as a technique. So yeah, that was the second business. What did you learn from growing and exiting those two businesses that you brought to high level? Yeah, how to pick good people to work with. And I would say how to listen to my customer to understand how to serve them better and how to fundamentally build a product. Got it. What started the idea for go high level uh, or for high level? What prompted it? So my other SaaS business called Invoice Sherpa, I grew into about a thousand small businesses off my kitchen table. And so I had a lot of conversations with a lot of small business owners in a lot of different verticals. And it was amazing because 
Well, my solution, two things really uh, occurred to me at the time. One, my solution was very wide. And so while I could do one thing for lots of people, I couldn't do lots of things for one person. So it was a very frustrating experience because people would ask me to do things that I finally had to say no to because it just didn't impact enough of the user base to add that feature. Um, I also learned that every small business owner has the same issue, which is they all want more, as much as they like collecting revenue that already is already owed them, they really want more customers. And many of them have very few solutions or concepts or ideas on how to do that. And so when I didn't actually anticipate selling that business, but somebody just came out of the woods and offered me enough, sadly, not enough to retire, but enough to kind of start another venture. And so from those two lessons, I really wanted to start something that where I could focus on one vertical every single day and go super deep and help that person with everything in their business that software could do, and then try to err on the side of helping them market and sell, because I think that's where most small businesses need the most help. Awesome. And as you started to formulate that idea and start to put it together, how did you know, or how did you piece together, okay, what can I offer to my customer? How do I build on that? How did you kind of keep offering value and go deeper and deeper? Yeah. So a lot of conversations, um, a lot of trial and error, (laughs) I'd say more error than anything, and a lot of luck. I think looking back on it, what I I had done sooner is I'm a software engineer. And if anyone's ever heard of this, it's the man with the hammer disease, which is to a man with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And so the problem with software engineers and all of us is there's, we have inherent biases. And so when I had the ideas that I did, you know, the first thing I did is run off and start writing code, which is the last thing you should actually do. The first thing you should do is call people up and ask them for money based on an idea that's in your head. And if you do that, you'll very quickly find out whether or not the thing that you envision to be amazing is worth anything at all. And it's not designed to be a discouraging process. I think it's designed to be an encouraging process. You'll probably meet with a lot of no's, but as you get those no's, you ask questions as to why and try to fit the model in your head. And then fundamentally over time, you evolve it to find that actual fit where someone would say, yeah, I'll pay for that. And then if you're really good, you'll actually ask them to prepay for it and then build it. But all that to say, I, I didn't do any of those things, although that's what I should have done. I just built the software. That was probably my big mistake, at least in this venture. So having people vote with their wallets, essentially. Absolutely. I think if you do a good enough job describing something to someone and it's a real fit, I think it's great. I mean, for me, I was lucky I had an existing customer base to talk to and people I was interfacing with every day who wanted something from me. So they were willing to give me five minutes of their time to pick their brain about their business. And so I understood the problem. What I didn't understand is the solution. So for me, the big evolution was figuring out the right solution to the problem I knew existed. Mm -hmm. And what was that? What was that one or two? What were those burning problems that when you started talking that back to your potential customer, they were like, yes, that's what I want. Do you have this? When is it available? That sort of thing. I think the problem was a breakdown in the conceptual idea. So I would talk to the customer and say, would you like to get more customers? And they would all say, oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. I'm going to go create software that is going to help you get more reviews because I think getting reviews on Google is really important because when people search on Google and they see your business, they're going to compare you against your competitors and all this other stuff. And then I think you really need a great way to communicate with them. And I think SMS is a big up and coming tech, you know, sort of communications channel. We should implement that. And I'd get a lot of, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, and so this is what encouraged me to go out and write code. And so I'd go out and then I'd write the code and then I'd deliver it to them. And they'd be like, oh yeah, but this is too hard to use, or I don't know how to set this up, or, you know, I just don't have time to do this. I think this is where the breakdown was. The breakdown was 
the, the more features I wrote, it's not like anybody said that's useless or I don't need it. They just said, I don't have time. I can't learn this. I'm busy running a restaurant. I'm busy running a law firm. I'm busy running a lawn care business, whatever. I just can't, I can't do it, man. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to go back to whatever it is I was doing before. And that was the most difficult part of the journey was realizing that, well, the thing that I had written was super useful to someone. It wasn't useful to my end customer that I was trying to help. And so that was a big revelation for me. Mm. So how did you kind of get over that hurdle of, you know, I don't have time. I Lucky. <laughs> I got lucky. Somebody who was much smarter than me came into the picture and said, you're focusing on the wrong person. This isn't how this gets done today. Like small business owners don't have time to market their business. That was the big revelation. And no matter how hard you try or no matter how fast you run or no matter how much code you write, the best SMB marketing products that I've seen out in the world are just dumbed down. They're limited in scope by design in order to try to get that as that person who works there to be able to sort of figure it out in 10 minutes. But it, it, the problem with that is it really leaves a lot on the table in terms of functionality. So for me, I got lucky because someone put this out to me and they were right. I was trying to sell to the wrong customer. Gotcha. You're looking for those customers who are already not necessarily in market, but they are more primed to buy, right? They're more likely to buy. It was almost like I was selling medical equipment to the patient where the person's like, oh yeah, I do use that when I go to the doctor's office, but I have no clue how to do it. And if you use that example, it's very obvious. Like, I mean, we're in COVID-19 days. You know, if you try to sell a respirator to the average person on the street, even if they bought it, they wouldn't know how to use it and it'd just be a waste of your time. Even if they needed it, they wouldn't know how to run it. Like right. I wouldn't know how to run it, right? So in that case, it's stupidly obvious that we tries to do that. They sell it to the doctor or the hospital. And that's what fundamentally changed about our business is that I stopped trying to sell to the end business owner and I started selling to a marketing professional who understood exactly what I was selling and ran this type of equipment, in our case, software every day and really was able to see the value proposition out of the gate. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next. Who was that ideal customer? Agencies and marketers? Professional, professional marketers. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So what did that conversation look like when you took it to them and started like telling them about what were kind of the questions they gave? Did they have any resistance or feedback? And how did oh, no. you- <laughs> It was great. <laughs> it, it was like, wow, this is amazing. And I, I mean, this is exactly what we've been looking for. I've been trying to find this for years. It was a totally different conversation. And as a software engineer, it really spoke to me because I really want to spend my time focused on making a product, focused on making that product better, mm-hmm. adding you know more features and all that. That's kind of what I like to do. And so it was great to find an audience that appreciated that. Awesome. And so how did you grow up from there once you found that this is the customer, they know what I'm doing, I'm solving a painful problem for them? Yeah. How did you um, grow it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think I would like to say I'm a master marketer, but I'm certainly not um, any of that, sadly. It's literally been word of mouth. I mean, it's been wow. my, our customers seeing the value of the product and sharing it with other professionals. And although, well, I would say for a minute, like I'm not a master marketer. One thing I would say is I think it's a very preferential distribution strategy. I mean, first of all, if you're in the world of SaaS for any amount of time, what you'll realize is it's, not a, it's no longer an engineering problem. It's a sales problem. That's why most people raise tons of money. They don't go out and hire like really amazing engineers. They certainly hire engineers, but they hire way more salespeople. And why is that? It's because there's this competition 
for business owners' attention. And so they hire a lot of sales guys to BDRs and SDRs and AEs and all these nonsense. It's just dudes on phones making lots of calls to businesses. I mean, you can try to sexy it up all you want, but it's just a lot of cold calling. And ultimately, I mean, I think that's a distribution strategy, A, that I can't afford. So I can, I'll probably hate on it for that reason. But, mm-hmm. but I also think it's a, just a difficult one. Now, there's other people who do it differently. Certainly, there's people with lower cost um, products where they have to do sort of, there's some virality to it, or there's advertising models, or there's this, that, or the other thing. But I think the future is really about virtualization of software. And I think it's for a very good reason. I think if you can sit down every single day and focus on one type of person, you know, doctors, dentists, lawyers, lawn care guys, it doesn't matter what your vertical is, you know, I think there's power in that. And I think the distribution strategy there that should be viable to everybody is recommendations because most people don't view people in their peer group as competitors, they view them as peers. And a lot of people talk shop and if they're willing to share, um, I think that's a positive thing. And I think it's a great business model if you can make it work. Um, Don't get me wrong, it's not easy to generate word of mouth by any means. And in fact, I don't think early on it's a good idea. I think you should you should call call people and you should do things that don't scale. You know, you should advertise a little and all those things. Don't get me wrong, but long, long, long term, you should try to work towards a model that grows itself um, without a lot of money input because I think that's a way better strategy. And I think it's keeping with the idea of like, is what you're building worth money? Is that worth paying for? Mm. So if you had to not necessarily start over again, but start kind of from a similar space with the new company, how would you kind of move, what moves would you take in terms of like verticalizing software or trying to get into, tap into that customer network and generate demand through word of mouth and recommendations? Like what would you... At first, I would think a lot about verticals and think about them in two distinct ways. One, ability to pay. I think because of venture capital muddying the waters, the cost of SaaS has been suppressed significantly over an earlier period. I think we're seeing this change now because it's on the rise. But the reality is, is that if you're in the B2B space, I wouldn't want to sell anything under $99 a month minimum. And even that I think is too cheap. I think it's a walk-on price that needs to very quickly get to three or $400 a month. So first, try to find a vertical that has the capacity to pay you $400 a month. Otherwise, I mean, go raise a lot of VC, do something else. Don't talk to me though. I'm not, I don't have no good advice there. But if you want to create a sustainable business, find something where you can pay three or $400 a month. And if you think that's weird, just think about any service provider, you know, how many people get thousands of dollars a month from a vertical. So it's really not a crazed idea. And then from there, try to think about channel sales and what is the channel by which you can ride, ride up, up in those sales. So law firms are an easy example. Every lawyer is part of a bar association. There's regional bar associations, state bar associations, some are, there's city bar associations if it's big enough city, there are state bar associations, there's national. So you can, there's all these different channel capacities and capabilities where you can tap into these networks. And if you create something valuable, those channel sales partners, they're actually in the position of, of giving out good information to their constituencies, right? So you can use those channels to grow very, very, very quickly. It takes longer to get into a channel like that because you have to build trust. But once you build trust, you can ride that trust up to some pretty amazing things. I would focus on those two aspects. Okay. Interesting. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've made building high level that you haven't mentioned so far? Gosh, we make them every day. So (laughs) I really lose count trying to think if there's any like one killer mistake. I mean, I probably have personal faults that probably hinder me from seeing my mistakes. Like there's lots of people who talk about gaining a network and or a mentor or something, which I haven't done. So I'm 
probably missing out on that. I mean, one thing I will say in reflecting back on my prior SaaS product to this one is in my prior SaaS product, I had no co-founders. And in this one, I have two co-founders and I feel extremely lucky to have made that decision or lucked into it or however it came to be because both of them have superior strengths to me in different areas. And so as a combinatorial force, I mean, we're able to do an extraordinarily uh, better job than we otherwise would. I mean, I could say, well, I've made myself highly visible to my customer base and I've personally reached out and I help people every day. I still do tech support for customers on a daily basis. And it, to one extent, you can see that as an error because it sucks up a lot of time and it makes me very not scalable. But on the other hand, it's also endeared me to a lot of customers because they can see that I care about them and I'm really committed to trying to help them. And so at the same time, it may be also part of our growth story. So yeah, I don't know. We make a lot of mistakes, but I can't think of any like one, don't, whatever you do, don't do that. Type of mistake. Mm-hmm. Except, except maybe my first one, which is don't build a software product until you have someone who can pay you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure through answering support questions though, and helping people like one-to-one that you get good ideas. Oh yeah. Um, it helps. That's why I do it. My best ideas are just thefted from my customers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I steal everyone's best idea and I, I always call it my own later on. That's the way I roll. But I also think that's the idea. I mean, we're very community driven. I mean, back to our distribution model, but you know, we have an ideas board that where our customers can vote and we literally choose the ideas off that we're going to do next from the top of that board. I mean, it's a very community-driven effort, and I think it's a different way to run a software company than I've traditionally seen. Mm-hmm. Who are the customers that get the highest or most amount of value out of your service? Or like, who are the ones who are just, yeah. you know? I mean, in our market, it's people who have at least have five customers or higher. If you're starting off a marketing agency and you have zero customers, but it's just like any business, when you have no experience, it's hard to reflect on what the problems are that lie you don't know what you don't know. The people who have a couple of customers have been around the block for a little bit, they look at our solution and they're like, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been looking for for 10 years, right? Like those people really love it. So I would say they get the most immediate return and value, but I would say we still are able to provide value even for the person who hasn't yet gotten the first customer. But it's just hard for to see it, I think, when you don't have an existing customer base. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I noticed too, I saw you had like white label offering. I'm just curious, like, what was the impetus for that? I mean, the response I mean, I, to that. But. Yeah, I mean, white label to us is really important. I mean, I think that, you know, our goal is to help make agencies more money. And by allowing them to resell the product under their own brand, I think it's been a very intelligent move. And I think it's helped them make a lot of money. I also think it's the right service delivery model. I think the other thing I think software companies get run away with is like software, software, software is the only solution to every problem. But in reality, that's not accurate. The person on the other side doesn't really care how the problem gets solved. They just care that it gets solved. And so most of the time, that's a combination of service and software. I mean, if software was so infinitely powerful, humans wouldn't have, you know, there'd be no service job, but there's lots of them because software is not capable of doing everything. And so to me, software is like a tool. It's like a hammer or a saw. It's like something you like a good person, you know, a good house home builder uses to build an amazing home, right? And we try to make the best tools in the business, but we think of them as being used by the best marketers in the business. That's how we sort of join together with them. And so out to the end consumer, I don't really have any desire or need to flash my brain in front of the end business owner. And in fact, if anything, I think it's a detriment because what a lot of people will do is get the crazy idea that if they just go down to Home Depot and buy the camera and the saw themselves, they'll shortly on to building a beautiful palace of the home but mm-hmm. and saving a lot of money while they do it. But that's the problem. It's a nutty idea and it never happens. And the ones that try it 
classically fail miserably. And so for us, it's about trying to, to actually affect that original goal, which is how do I help that small business owner double or triple the size of their business this year? It's honestly by getting them out of the role of trying to do it themselves. It's getting them to focus on the thing that they're really good at, which is being an attorney or being an HVAC guy or being a you know, plumber or whatever. That's what they're actually exceptional at. Mm-hmm. All the other stuff, they need to find a great partner. Don't get me wrong. Someone who's really good at what they do, but they've got to join up as a team to make that happen. Absolutely. You mentioned verticalization of software, channel sales uh, for growing a software business. What are some trends you're seeing in marketing or sales technology today, um, maybe within the next like 24 months or so that you find interesting uh, happening in your market that you have your eye on or what do you see like on the horizon? I think COVID-19 has been an exceptional accelerator of digital adoption of everything. But in our market, I think it coalesces around having digital products. And so you can think about this in lay terms, like if you're the chiropractor whose chiropractic shop just got shut down, right? What are you going to do? We sort of saw them take two different people, take two different paths. And some of them just sort of ran and hid and shut the lights off and hoped it all blow over. And those people, I think, lost out on an amazing opportunity to not only transform their business, but also just be better prepared for when things did blow over. And then the other people that we were really impressed by and taught us something was, the people that went out and said, okay, well, wait a second, what can I sell digitally mm-hmm. right here, right now that even I might lose money on it at the worst, or my hope is I'll break even on my cost. But what it's doing is it's giving instant gratification. It's creating a really fertile base of people who know your brains, who are ready to come into your location when you reopen, all of that stuff. But I think what we're going to see is when the COVID-19, like uh, when there's a vaccine or we can all just dance on the streets and there's going to be a big party. After that, I think the digital products will continue to exist because it, what it has also taught those people who were trying this is that, wait a second, this actually works. And on an ongoing basis, you know, most people are trying to get you to like jump to a location visit. Mm-hmm. But if you have that digital step, you're going to have a lot more people take that digital step. And then you can upsell them into the visit. Don't get me wrong. But those are people you were losing before and you were just having to expend ad spend before right. because you couldn't get to show up. Now, boom, you're going to monetize those people. So I think digital product sales like that will continue to be a huge, huge thing. Interesting. Interesting. Do you see any changes to digital products? Like, Do you foresee like any changes happening just to the delivery of digital products or how digital products are created rather than just the speed of adoption? Or do you think it'll just be, you know, more or oh, less. Well, I, mean, I think the biggest thing is, is like, if you think about what a traditional digital product is, it's a course mm-hmm. and it's generally put on by a guru. And, yeah. um, that's <laughs> like the, right? and right. you know, there's generally a Lambo in the back or oh, a yeah. jet over here, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And I think that will continue to persist. But I think all of a sudden, you're also going to see just people show up in the atmosphere that aren't trying to coach anybody on anything. It's going to be like, Hi, I'm, I'm Sean, the, the chiropractor. We're going to talk about 10 things we can do here, right here, right now at home today. That's going to help give you better posture or going to help you improve your life. And it's going to be relatively inexpensive. It's going to be a one-time offer or a very cheap monthly rate. And I'm going to teach you personally the th- types of things that we would do here in my office to help you blah, 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 blah. And that type of person is going to show up and have a consistent digital offer. And the ad spend is going to shift from show up at my office, um, book an appointment, um, and it's going to shift to buy my digital offer. And then I'm going to move you into an appointment later on, but I'm going to monetize you immediately on this type of thing where, because if you think about it, why do people search for these types of things or what is it that they sort of hope to get 
out of these offers. It's significantly always a solution to a problem. Right. And so if you present me a solution that's like right now, mm-hmm. right? Or that, you know, maybe if it's only half the solution and you even say that, right? I can, I can make you 50% better right now. And mm-hmm. a lot of people would take that deal and then you can upsell them later into the other 50% back actually showing up, right? So I think there's going to be a lot of that that continues. And a lot of businesses, I think, have taught themselves that they can do things at a distance they never imagined possible, right? right. Simple stuff. Lawyers and CPAs can probably do most of their work digitally. Mm-hmm. So why not move into a product delivery model that's more digital that way? Yeah, absolutely. That was a great explanation. Sean, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today. I've learned a lot and I've been really interested to hear your story. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in speaking about oh, yeah, uh, sure. something uh, today? Yeah, head over to gohighlevel.com. Check us out. Always happy to talk to new people and, and meet new people. And uh, if you're, especially for a professional marketer of any kind, I'd love to talk to you. So definitely head over to our website anytime or look me up on Facebook or yeah, all those good things. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Sean. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.